Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Sometimes we uh, don't get to see the fulfillment of the thing that we are uh, most anticipating. There's a cathedral in Barcelona, Spain that has been under construction since 1882. Uh, And you thought it took a long time to build this building. It's called uh, La Sagrada Familia. And it was largely designed, you can see a picture of it there, it was largely designed by the architect Antony Gaudi, who devoted the last 40 years of his life to the construction, the design, the building of this cathedral. But even as the project was getting off the ground in the, in the late 1800s, there were concerns from people watching, observing that maybe this project wasn't moving as quickly as it should, that, that maybe there were hang-ups, concerns, things like that. And it's said that in response to those concerns, Gaudi said, my client, meaning God, is not in a hurry. And Gaudi died in, in 1926, like I said, devoted the last 40 years of his life to this project. He was buried in the crypt at the cathedral, and yet, when he died, uh, the cathedral was about 25% constructed. Uh, Work continued for the next 10 years until 1936, when uh, the Spanish Civil War broke out. And at one point during the Spanish Civil War, there was a a break-in at the cathedral workshop, and most of the models, designs, plans for the cathedral were destroyed. And that led to 16 years, 16 years... (laughs) of just work being done to reconstruct the models and the plans for this cathedral. Uh, From that time on, after those 16 years, sometime in about the 50s, uh, work picked up again and it continued on steadily. And uh, that uh, kept going until 2015. It was announced that the cathedral was 70% complete. It was now in its final stage of construction. And it was hoped that, that the project would be done on, in 2026, on the 100th anniversary of, of Gaudi's death. But I don't know if you've heard or not, there's been this thing called a global pandemic for the last couple of years. Um, has kind of put a dent in the process, slowed it down a little bit. But still, even today, 140 years since ground was first broken on this project, the work has continued. Just think about how much the world has changed since 1882 compared to today. Think about all the hours of work. Think about the people who who maybe devoted their lives working on this project. Maybe people who who live in the area who have born and this cathedral was being built and died and it was still being built. Think about Gaudi, the architect who devoted 40 years to this project, and now he has been dead almost 100 years, and the project's still not done. Sometimes we don't get to see the fulfillment of the thing we're most anticipating. As we've been making our way through this series called What Faith Looks Like, we've been looking at characters from the Old Testament book of Hebrews, highlights for us as uh, people of faith. And we've seen over the course of this series a number of different ways that a true, lasting faith in God cuts against some of the typical tendencies of our world. Our, our world says that faith is something that is, that is vague and immaterial, has no real bearing on day-to-day life. Scripture says that faith is foundational. 
that our trust in who God is and his calling on our life informs every other part of who we are. And the text we'll look at today, we'll see that faith calls us uh, to take a far longer view than the world typically expects. I remember when I uh, was a kid, my, my parents got our first desktop computer, and I had the opportunity to download music off the internet for the first time. And I remember it took 20 minutes to download a three-minute song onto my parents' computer. I remember, you maybe remember as well, trying to load a picture on the first computers, uh, how long it took that it was just like one frame at a time, and you would sit there for five minutes getting excited as, as the picture slowly appeared on the screen. And all of that took place in the, the computer room. You had one place in the house where you could go and access the internet. And, and if you were anywhere else uh, in your home, you, you had no access uh, to a computer, no access to the internet. But now that I've given the teenagers more material for, to make fun of me for being old, compare that to how things function today. Uh, we have these little mini computers in our pockets all times. And if they, took, if they take more than just a few seconds to upload anything, we get impatient. There's about anything we can conceive of is, that we might need in our life is available for us to buy from our phones, and then it'll be at our doorstep in just a few days. If it takes more than three or four days, we lose our ever-loving minds. Our entire world is based on things moving faster and faster with more and more efficiency. There's no time to slow down, to wait in any way. There's no uh, reason why we should ever have to be inconvenienced in any way whatsoever. And yet, the faith we hold to, the faith we are called to build our entire life upon, does not work in the same way. Our faith moves much more slowly. Our faith is maybe closer to spending 140 years building a cathedral than getting two-day shipping from Amazon. Our faith tells us that sometimes we, don't get to, we might not even get to see the fulfillment of the thing that we're most anticipating. More often than we would probably care to experience, faith invites us into a place of waiting. Waiting for God and His purposes to be accomplished. Uh, both of my dad's parents are gone now, but when I was a kid, they uh, lived in the basement of their house with an unfinished upstairs. And, and there, was a, there was this anticipation that one day the upstairs would be finished. And I could walk around the upstairs of my, my grandparents' house with my grandparents, and they could, they could point things out to me. They could say, back there is going to be a bedroom, that's going to be a bathroom, over here is where the kitchen, where the dining room is going to be. But it was all a mental image. None of it had come to be just yet. It was something to look forward to, something that, that wasn't completely realized until after my grandpa retired, decades after uh, they had first moved into that house, when he was able to finish the upstairs completely so that they could finally fully experience everything that their house was intended to be. Now, that's maybe a little bit like what it's like to have a life of faith. We have moments where we see what God is doing, but maybe we don't have the whole picture. We spend time in that in-between space of waiting on the promises of God to, to be completed. That's what we'll see with the faith of Joseph in the story we're looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at the last five 
verses of the book of Genesis. And as far as stories go, the book of Genesis ends in a nice, tidy, little, neat little place with a, with a comfortable resolution. We could uh, see, if we're just looking at the book of Genesis, that it has a happy ending as far as stories go. And yet, Genesis ends on a note of looking forward. A knowledge that the work of God is not done and that it will one day be completed as God brings his people into something far greater. Look at Genesis 50, verses 22 to 26. The words will be on the screen. It says, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, his son. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, his other son, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. After they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. By all accounts, Joseph ends up with a pretty successful life. His life had plenty of tragedy to be sure, but by the time he gets to the end of the story, things have pretty well resolved. Joseph had ascended to the role of second in command over the entire nation of Egypt. Egypt is the most powerful empire on the face of the earth at this time. Professionally, he's had the most success anyone could have dreamed of. He lives a long life. The Egyptians believed that that 110 was the ideal age to live. And that's how long Joseph lives. He he lives long enough to see his great-grandchildren, even some great-great-grandchildren you can see there in the text. Relationally, he's had a full life, getting to see his descendants grow up as he enters into his twilight years. When he dies, he's celebrated. He's embalmed. He's placed in a coffin in Egypt. He's honored as one of the highest members of society in his day. By all accounts, Joseph's life ends on a note of overwhelming success. He dies at a ripe old age, wealthy, successful, surrounded by loving family members. I mean, given that he came into Egypt as someone who had been sold into slavery by his brothers, this has worked out pretty well. This is a rags-to-riches story. This passage that we've just read begins and ends with all these reminders of success and comfort that Joseph experiences at the end of his life in Egypt. And yet, if you look at the middle of this passage, verses 24 and 25, we see what is Joseph's true comfort, his true source of hope as he lives as an old man in Egypt. It's not in his own success, his own wealth or power that he's accumulated over the course of his life. It's not, it's not in his family. It's not that he's been able to be reunited with his, with his father and reconciled with his brothers later in his life. Joseph's comfort is based in what God is going to do in the future. Any average Egyptian could have looked at Joseph's life and said he was someone to be celebrated and honored, someone who was obviously blessed and and should be praised. And Joseph looks at all those things around him and says that they are nothing compared to what God has promised to do in the future. Egypt might have given Joseph overwhelming success and comfort in every way imaginable, but it was not his home. 
God would one day come and take his people into their true home. And when that day came, Joseph asked to be a part of it. Sometimes we don't get to see the fulfillment of the thing we are most anticipating, but that does not mean that God does not accomplish his purposes. Just because God doesn't complete all of his purposes within the lifetime of Joseph does not mean Joseph's confidence has wavered in whether or not it will be completed. And that's the point Joseph drives home in his words there in verses 24 and 25. The text says he says these words to his the Hebrew term there is, is broader than what we typically mean by you know, biological brothers. And given Joseph is one of the younger siblings in his family and he lives to this old age, it would make sense that he's not necessarily saying this to his literal brothers, but to all of his family members, all of his descendants that are there present with him. But he speaks these words of truth to them. And, and if you notice, there's a balance in his words between reality and hope. Uh, Joseph begins with reality. He begins by stating the obvious. He is about to die, and, we, and yet when he is faced with that, he turns to hope. He turns to point his descendants forward to what God will do after he's gone. And it all centers around that promise, that covenant that God first established all the way back in Genesis 12. God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their descendants would dwell in the promised land. And that this famine that happens in Genesis that brings Jacob's family to Egypt, it has not defeated the promise of God. God's plan might not be progressing as quickly as it could have, but it does not mean God is not at work. God is still preparing the descendants of Abraham for the purpose he has for them. To be a light to the world to show a watching world what it looks like to live as God's people, to be the means through which God will set the entire world right. Those plans are still in motion, and they are certain they can be trusted because God is faithful. Just as his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather had done, Joseph looks forward to the future when God's plans will be completed. He says, God will surely come to your aid. If you remember back to a few weeks ago, we talked about that word that's translated come to your aid there in those verses. It's a word for when God shows up to act. Life in Egypt was not everything God had in store for his people. And Joseph was looking forward to a time when God would visit, when God would show up to act, when God would come to the aid of his people And when that day came, even if it came long after Joseph was gone, he wanted to be a part of it. Egypt might have given Joseph a good life, but it was not his home. Pharaoh might have given Joseph power and prestige and success, but the blessings of Pharaoh are nothing compared to the promises of God. Uh, From an outside perspective, someone observing Joseph's death might look at Joseph and see him dying fully Egyptian. I mean, the text says he's embalmed, he's placed in a coffin, he's given this burial that was common for the, the higher in society in Egypt, and yet his faith in God, the, his faith in the God who had revealed himself to his ancestors, is still core to Joseph's identity. In his dying wishes, he makes it clear that his faith, even in death, is in God and God alone. So when God shows up to act, when God visits, even if it's just his bones that are participating, Joseph still wants to participate as a testament to the goodness and faithfulness of God to his people. 
And eventually that day Joseph is looking forward to comes in the book of Exodus. The first few chapters of Exodus tell us about God raising up Moses to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt. It tells us about the plagues that God sends upon the Egyptians to demonstrate his power, his superiority over the gods of Egypt. And as Israel reaches its culmination and gets to leave Egypt at the Exodus, gets their freedom as they are on their way out, as they're experiencing what Joseph was looking forward to, Exodus 12.40 tells us that Israel had been in Egypt 430 years years. That's just a few pages in our Bibles. It's just 12 chapters. If you're just reading along, you can get through it pretty quickly if you wanted to, but it is 400 years. Imagine reading a history of the United States, and you end one chapter, and it's telling you about the pilgrims and the first Thanksgiving and all of that that you learned in elementary school, and then you flip over and start the next chapter, and it's telling you about the United States in 2022. That's the jump. That's the gap of time that passes between, uh, roughly between Joseph making this proclamation at the end of Genesis and the promises of God coming to fulfillment in the book of Exodus. And yet, that did not mean God was not faithful. It did not mean that God had forgotten or given up on his people. It is a testament to the God who's faithful to his promises, even when his faithfulness reaches far beyond what we can see in our own perspectives. And when that day comes, Joseph's descendants follow the commands that Joseph had given them. Exodus 13, 19 says that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said that God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Even though it did not come until centuries later, Joseph's bones made it to their final resting place, to the land that God had promised to give to his people. And Joseph's bones go with God's people as a testament to the faithfulness of God. As they carry on the legacy of those who were looking forward, as they begin this journey out of Egypt into the land God had promised to give them, into the purposes God had in store for them as his redeemed people. So now we can look at what Hebrews 11 has to say about Joseph. And remember, the audience that is first listening to Hebrews chapter 11. They're people who are weary. People who know the stories of the Old Testament, of these examples of faith. People who have themselves put their faith in Jesus, have believed He's the culmination of all the promises of God. And yet they find themselves wavering. Because their allegiance to Jesus has created tension with the world around them. In, in the short term, and what they can see, following Jesus looks a lot like losing. And when you are the one losing, it can be difficult to have the long view of faith. When we're in the middle of struggle, it can be difficult to look forward to what God will do in the future. And yet as people of faith, as people who follow in the footsteps of Joseph, uh, the first audience of this letter and us today are called to look forward to the work God is doing even when it stretches beyond ourselves. Hebrews 11:22 says, "By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones." Joseph is held up as a hero of the faith because even as he reached the end of his life, he was living with an eye towards what God would do in the future. Out of all of the things that we could highlight about the life of Joseph, out of all of the things out of Joseph's life that are worth highlighting, 
This is where the author of Hebrews focuses in. Hebrews could talk about how Joseph was redeemed out of slavery, was elevated to this position of authority in Egypt, but it doesn't. Hebrews could talk about how Joseph lived to a ripe old age, got to see his descendants grow up, but it doesn't. The highlight of Joseph's life was his faith. And Joseph's faith is most clearly on display as he gets to the end of his life and trusts that the work of God continues. And that sort of faith is displayed in what he calls, the faith that Joseph calls his descendants to have. It's the sort of faith that Hebrews calls us to have as well as we read these words. As the generations after Joseph continued walking in this same faith, they, they carried the bones of Joseph with them. If you notice there in Genesis fifty twenty six, it says there right at the end that he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And that Hebrew word that's translated coffin right there is the same word that gets used in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 10, verse 5, to describe the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the box that was carried by the Israelites that, that symbolized God's presence with his people and was kept in the Holy of Holies. And I think there's a documentary about it by some guy named Indiana Jones. You can watch it later. Uh, but, but Jewish commentators have made that connection between the end of Genesis where, where uh, Joseph's body is placed in a coffin and then the Ark of the Covenant being described with the same word. And, and they made the point that for those 40 years, while Egypt, or while the Israelites had, were from Egypt into the Promised Land, they were, they were carrying these two boxes, these two arks, these two coffins with them. One was a coffin uh, containing the remains of Joseph. And the other one was the Ark of the Covenant, that symbolized God's presence, that had in it uh, the, the Ten Commandments, all these other elements that commemorated this covenant that the living God had made with his people. And it might seem strange to, to describe those two boxes with the same word, to say that they're the same, to, to, to describe them in the same way. One carrying the bones of someone who died long ago, one a sign of the work that God was doing in the present, and yet... It was said that it was appropriate to describe those two together because of how they related to one another. It was said that the bones kept in the coffin remembered Joseph, someone who fulfilled the commands of the covenant that was remembered by the Ark of the Covenant. And that's certainly an appropriate connection. Joseph's faith was looking forward to what God would do in the day that he would redeem his people out of slavery and would give them the law, would give them the Ark of the Covenant, would take them into the Promised Land. And yet at the same time, that observation stopped short. Because as much as Joseph was looking forward to the Exodus, as much as Joseph was looking forward to the law, to the Ark of the Covenant, to all of that, Joseph and the law together were looking forward to the one who would come to truly bring God's people rest and freedom to truly deliver them into life with God, Jesus, the one who came to redeem his people out of the oppression of sin and death so that we might walk in faith with him. We live as people who carry on that same legacy of faith. And so the story of Joseph, the story of Hebrews 11, they, they lead us to the place where we ourselves look forward. 
We are people who live between the times, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, and we are waiting for that day when he comes again. And as we do that, we live as people that look forward. And we live as people who move forward ourselves. When we try to locate ourselves within the story of Joseph, it might be kind of tricky because there are times where we look at this story and, and we're Israel. We're the ones carrying the bones of those who have gone before us. And there might be other times where we're Joseph, calling the next generation to carry on in the legacy of faith that is being left for them. So as we respond to this text, it's worth us thinking through both sides of that equation, looking at the bones that we carry and looking at the bones we are passing on to be carried by those who come after us. And as we do both of those things together, it is not done to celebrate ourselves. It is done as a reminder of how our God is good and is faithful and has invited us to walk with him as we play a small part as he accomplishes his purposes in us and across the globe. So what bones are we carrying? What are the stories that as we walk as God's people in this time and place that inform who we are and show us what it looks like to walk in faith before God? I've reflected on that in my own life this week. And I was reminded I have one Bible that stays on my shelf most of the time. And this Bible I bought when I was a freshman in Bible college and used it throughout Bible college uh, in class to take notes in and things like that. And on the inside cover of this Bible, there are a list of names of friends, family, men and women who have invested in me over the years. And as I was looking at this list, as I was thinking about the story of Joseph this week, I was drawn to the names on this list who are no longer on this earth. There's my, my great-grandpa's on here, the man who was responsible for my parents starting to take me and my sister to church when we were kids. There's a name in here of one of the leaders from my home church, a man who first encouraged my dad to step into leadership at the church I grew up in. And uh, when he died, set aside some of... Uh, set aside money for my home church to set up a scholarship fund for students who wanted to go to Bible college, a fund that myself and my sister as well benefited from, even though he had been gone for years by the time we went off to college. There's uh, the man who made me preach my first sermon when I was 13, uh, who I guess is who you all can complain to and stuck with me, but... um, Passed away during my first semester of Bible college. Had a heart attack in his sleep. And there's one of the the leaders from the first church I ever preached at. Who invested in me, encouraged me, fed me a lot of meals. And all he got in return for it was having to listen to a lot of bad sermons from a punk college kid. Um, But who, and what ended up being the last time we ever talked, I got to tell him about how I had convinced this church in Minnesota to give me a job. This is not just something for me. 
you all have bones that you're carrying as well, whether it's friends or family members who have invested in you, people who have showed you what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And may we all look back on those who have gone before us and allow their faith in the past to inform how we walk with God in the present. But this is not just an individual matter. This church has modeled this sort of faith over the years. I went back and checked the records this week, and and this congregation bought the land that we are currently on in 2005. And yet it wasn't until 2018 when this building was used for worship for the first time. And I know that a lot of you were here for that, and I wasn't, so I'm not going to stand up here and act like I was. But, but I've heard enough stories since I've been here to know that we are worshiping in this building today because of the faith of so many people who have been a part of this congregation, some of whom are still here, some of whom have gone on to be with the Lord. And the fact that we gather for worship on this property, in this building each week, is a testament to the faith of this congregation. It is an act of carrying the bones as we continue to walk with God in the present, as we continue to carry on the legacy of those who have gone before us. And that brings us to a place of thinking about who's going to carry our bones, because the work of God continues. I've had the privilege of sitting in meetings with our elders here, men who love the Lord, who love you all, and want to see this congregation thrive long after they are gone. And they have toiled over issues that, honestly, if they wanted to, they could kick down the road and let someone else worry about. I really hope they're not listening to me right now and don't get any ideas. But I have watched them as they have put in hours of work and discussion and study and prayer in order that they might continue to build on the foundation that has been left for them and that they might set things up so that those who come after them can continue in the work of God's kingdom as well. And I am honored and humbled to get to sit with them as they work on things that they know full well may never come to completion in their lifetimes, but at the same time want to do as much as they can for these projects so that they can bless those who come after them. But again, this is not just a matter for individuals, not just a matter for a select few. All of us who have trusted in Jesus have those around us, whether we recognize it or not, who will carry on our legacies after we are gone. Our bones will be carried. So may we be people who pass on something that is worth carrying forward into the next generation and beyond. May we pass the baton of life with God on to those who will come after us so that God's people might be built up and more people may come to know the joy of a life of faith with our God. So as we close this morning, I'll invite you to consider two questions. First, whose bones are you carrying? And second, who will carry yours? I encourage you to reflect on those two questions for the sake of us as a whole, landing in the place where Hebrews 11 calls us to land. May we be people who put our trust, put our faith first and foremost in God because we know of what he's done in the past and because we are confident of the work that will continue, even if it extends far beyond what we can see. Let's pray.
God, you are good. We thank you that you have invited us in to be a part of your people. You've invited us in to, to walk in faith with you, to trust in you, to, be, to experience your um, life, your guidance, your leadership with us day by day. And Father, as we do that as individuals and as a community, we ask that you would help us trust in you and trust in the perspective that you provide. That we would not look to ourselves, but we would look to the work that you were doing in us and around us, that we would have faith that your purposes continue far beyond us, far beyond our lifetimes. Give us faith, help us trust in you more deeply each day as we walk with you, and may you be glorified in us as we bring glory to you wherever you lead. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.